everybody, welcome to the Pop My Culture Podcast. I'm Cole Stratton. And I'm Vanessa Raglan. Hey V, how you doing? I'm breastfeeding. <laughs> so you're doing good. Doing you're really doing good. Doing better yeah. Oh yeah. Oliver. He's got a life right now. That's right. Uh, hey guys, a uh, really fun guest today. You may not be familiar with him, He's a, but he's an amazing stand-up comedian and writer and producer and stuff. And a really like vibrant part of the comedy community. Yeah. So uh, you should check his stuff out. He's great. Yes. And uh, we just had a very fun conversation with him and stuff. So uh, before we get to that, a little bit of housekeeping. And that's Ed Krasnick, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> before we get to that, a uh, tiny bit of housekeeping. Uh, if you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. You just go to iTunes, click five stars, and write, wow, this was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's one way you could do it. You can also email us. Info at popmyculturepodcast.com. We read them all. We'll write you back. Guest suggestions, welcome. If you just want to say hi, uh, we love that too. Anything. Yeah, totally. Love letters. We're also uh, listener supported for the most part. Yes, and we need your support. Yes. <laughs> uh, buy war bonds. Uh, actually, there's a there's a donate button on our website. Info at popmichael. Uh uh-uh, uh, nope. <laughs> Popmyculturepodcast.com. You can look for the donate button and you click it. Yep. Any amount is appreciated, and if you donate, we give you a shout out on the air. The ultimate gift. That's right. In fact, we need to do that now. We have a couple people we'd like to thank. And it's been a little while since we've done this. Vanessa has not had her freestyle rap skills tested in a little while. Oh, gosh. And they are really going to be bad today. <laughs> so uh, here we go. I'll uh, lay down a sick beat. That's just. Oh, yeah. Uh, Please, a sick beat. Sure. A little okay. bit of a cold. All right, great. <laughs> All right, here we go. Pop My Culture Podcast 2014. Calling Vanessa on my eeks. Megan, 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 you gave us a gift, and with that gift you did our spirits lift, and we will spend the money, but not all in one place, but we might buy a star in outer space, because you were generous with your gift to us. Thank you, Megan. We hope you donate again. Megan, Megan, Megan. And now, Catherine, it's a similar rhyme, but your gift was different, so we'll give you your own time. Catherine, Catherine, thank you for giving us a little bit of change. You're so generous, Catherine. You're the best that there ever was, like Hepburn. What a sick burn. <laughs> Next up is John. Long John, like the silvers, but your gift was gold and it really delivered. Thank you for clicking the button and entering your credit card info. You're wonderful. We'll never scam you with your credit card info. We will keep it private. And, and, and. <laughs> I'm yeah. on day quill and two hours sleep. That happened. That <laughs> happened. Thank you guys for donating. Refunds are not available at this time. Uh, They're never going to be available. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to our guest, shall we? Yes. All right, here we go. Uh, our guest today, he is a comic, a writer, a producer. Uh, I think he owns a Chipotle. Uh, you know, from things like This Week in Comedy, After Lately, Win Ben Stein's Money, and other things, Ed Krasnick is here. You know what? I can't thank you enough 
Uh, and that's all I have to say. Thank no. you so much. How, <laughs> how is the Chipotle? Do you guys, uh, you don't use uh, bacon in your uh, beans anymore? We're not using bacon in the beans. And then the biggest thing about Chipotle right now mm-hmm. is we're changing it. We're trying to come up with a campaign. And it's right now I have your note lay. And I don't know what it is, okay. but I think it might have something to do with post-its. Oh. And we're trying to create these little post-its that are coasters, but also edible. Okay. And if you made them out of tinfoil so they looked like the wrappers of the burrito? Yes. I mean, here we go. That is now what we're, we're doing. Spitballing. Well, now. That, well, that's what we're doing. See, at Chipotle, uh, we never say there's no way. We say, we, we here's say, your note lay. Here's your note lay. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw, you can use this if you want. Yeah, uh, sure. Hire Eric Estrada and Larry Wilcox and do Chips Chipotle. You know what? Okay. Can I just tell you something? Cycle up front. You know? My God, it's so crazy. It might work. <laughs> I, you know what? I tell you something. People don't remember chips, and when you have a classic format, and then you bring it back, they think it's new, and you're the you're the king. You're the so king of Egypt. Should we reboot chips? We should reboot chips and then have Chips Ahoy. Go to the Chips Ahoy oh, people. Yeah. Bring them in. Have Nibisco up your oh, ass. Oh, we'll have a you dessert think- to offer at Chipotle because they don't offer desserts. We're doing Do a whole Do you think the Chips Ahoy package. people are just sitting around a table just looking at the phone waiting for it to ring? Probably. They're probably saying <laughs> Chips something. Chip what? Go. Jimmy. Wait, Chips Ahoy's okay, right? They're still a thing. Yeah, they're a they thing. They kind of are, but they're, they're old school, but they're not retro. See, if you're old school but not retro. They should bring back those great Chips Ahoy commercials. Do you remember when there was... Bah, bah, nah, dun, dun, dun. Wasn't that them? And the chips are just They're jumping dancing. into the cookies and dancing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, this is the problem, is that people, you have to think inside the box, and you got to go outside the box, and you have to not use the phrase thinking right. outside yeah, the box. Yeah, then you're still in the box. I'm if you're using the phrase, I'm thinking outside the box, you're in the box, You're honey. in the box. Right in the you box. are in the box. You guys remember, like, the, you're, you see commercials for things you're like, why do they have to advertise it? Like cotton? Like, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like cotton. It's, it's cotton. cotton. It's like, I'm, I don't buy a, yeah, sh- like a shirt or something that. based on the material other than is it The soft? cotton coalition begs to differ. Well, Eli Whitney, uh, his family has still has some interests. And uh, they weren't, you know, racist. They weren't, they didn't have any geographic thing. This man made a cotton gin. Mm. Okay. He yeah. was sitting at home. How do you make gin out of cotton? It's a big question <laughs> I've always had. <laughs> I've been and, soaking my T-shirts in the bathtub for weeks, so it just tastes like dirty bathtub water. And that's what he meant. <laughs> and that's why he was misunderstood. That's why he was a genius. Uh, and there was so much money more that way. All right. Cotton shirt or, or liquor? The liquor, please. Make it into liquor is my whole deal. Right. Look at any great product and I say... I like it. Now make it into liquor. How do you squeeze it into corn liquor? How do you squeeze? But no, we're talking about this. But this is what this is what business has become in the United States now. There's a two kinds of businesses. There's what kind of new business can I create? Yeah. And how will it be sustainable? And it comes from the craziest ideas. And I like I was talking to you guys. I was I was in these startup companies, and these startup companies are all about like it started as a food service company, but then all of a sudden somebody tripped and hit their head on a door on the way in, and it became how can we take blood and create a new snack item? <laughs> it's, it's always about that. So when you see the movies, like like uh, my daughter is ten now, so we go see you know Lego Movie and uh, uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Yeah. And they're all scathing satires of these startup businesses yeah. or the Silicon Valley Apple 
mentality or inventors and how they've taken inventors, the idea of inventing. Like Thomas Edison wouldn't come back today and think, you know, what kind of a startup could I have? Like, yeah. how can I make this electricity into something a that, that's a pan. fast buck? Yeah. Right. You know, there's an inventor like Einstein would be they would they would grab him and he'd be doing some kind of a digital startup now. And it would be it would be Einstein. it would be it would be Matthew <laughs> and it would be it would be like some kind of blue, you know, comedic thing. But it would be about how to learn math. He'd be making YouTube videos. He'd be making YouTube videos. Yeah. So there's a good part of I mean, the great thing is you have Oliver, you have, you know, you you, you have your kids and then you say, hey. I want to show you something on YouTube. Yeah. And I'll say it with my daughter. I'm going to show you the I Have a Dream speech mm. right now. Right. And then he, she can see that and she can be blown away. Now she's excited about yeah, Dr. King. The and problem she, is then you're like, and now I'm going to show you the I Had a Dream speech remixed. With, uh, <laughs> right. And I'm going to show you a dog farting the I Have a Dream speech. <laughs> right. That's the problem. You have to cut it off. <laughs> yeah. You have to know when to say no. If you like this, then you might like, ooh, let's click it. I know. No. I know it's become that culture. Like you can't have one. It has to be a mashup. Yeah. And it has to be a mashup that is a branded. Yep. Like you're doing this personal branding. Uh, everything that you do is like a brand. Well, we're performers, right? So what happened to, like, I like to sing and dance? Like, where's that gone to? <laughs> you gotta, can you do it naked with a dog? Yeah. And, and make a video of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where is that gone to? And it's like that sometimes you can forget you get so far down the line of how can I sell it? You forget that you actually like to do it. Yeah. Because if you went around the room, if you brought actors in here, your, fa- your friends, all the people you've had on the show, and you ask them one question, why did you come here and what did you want to do? Hmm. That, that's the question. A lot of them would either have forgotten it or not be able to answer you clearly and succinctly because yeah. they have forgotten why they came here. Yeah. How, when was the last time you think this, anyone has said, I'm a song and dance man? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you can't. I mean, that was that, a thing. Yeah. I mean, you can't. But you can't say it. You no. can't come out and just directly say, "I like to do these skills." This is what I enjoy doing. I sing. Mm-hmm. I dance. I do stand-up comedy. If you walk in and you say, "I do stand-up comedy to somebody today," they say, "So what?" Do so, you really dance then? <laughs> well, uh, I'm glad you brought it up uh, <laughs> because I've prepared something. Oh wow! Look at those shoes. <laughs> See, that's the beauty of radio. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, it's not called radio anymore. No, but I yeah. Anyway, nice. Uh, well, I think this segues perfectly into our topic. <laughs> I beg to Oddly differ, enough, but I uh, want to see how you feel. I feel like it. we have to talk about it because yeah. it's crazy. Bill Cosby. Oh. <gasps> song and Dance Man. Song, song so and the dance original man. Song soft and Shoe. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Very soft. What does it mean? <laughs> uh, and I mean, this this will well, this episode will come out probably, I don't know, a little over a week since we recorded it. So yeah. who knows how this will have developed in that time. But... Uh, 17 allegations and counting more mm-hmm. every day. Um, well, look at, let me tell you, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I, there's two things. One, as a parent, I can't talk about it really because it's too uh, frightening. Yeah. But as, but, but uh, if I knew all the stuff that was happening about Frank's, if I knew who Frank Sinatra was as a person, I probably wouldn't be listening to his music that yeah. much. Probably would not. Uh is he a great singer? He's one of the greatest singers of all time. Yeah. He's not a great person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's yeah. a very, he's a disgusting person. Okay. Yeah. But he's not a great, but he's a great singer. It's like, how do you, what do you do? There's so much media now. Now, Bill Cosby, I mean, my mentor ran his, ran a show, ran, ran the Cosby show. Mm-hmm. And I know all those stories 
um, and they're not good. Yeah. But when you watch Noah, you're watching him do one of the greatest comedy routines of all time. So I don't know how... I don't know. What is the dividing line of, of how you view these people? It's really tricky. And I feel like it's happening more and more now because knowledge is so prevalent with the Internet and everything. Like it used to be that people, well, I guess two things. There wasn't this desire from the media to expose people in such a way. Like we were very happy to have famous people be just that yeah. and hide the rest. We used to protect our presidents, too. Yeah. You know, but um, JFK, let's yeah. talk. Right. Yeah. And then at this point, it's like. People are coming forward. Well, the the strangest thing is these allegations have been made publicly. Like, this isn't the first time they've gone public, but they just never caught fire like they have. Right. Well, because this we, time. Didn't, we didn't have the digital angry mob with yes. the forks and, you know, torches, which we have but nowadays. I mean, like, the public opinion online, once it sours, it just piles up and yeah. the media frenzy begins. But mm. I feel like this is a good thing for it to sour to. You know, like, there's so many things that people get behind that are, are really ripping people apart that feel like very opinion-based. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like what you did like this, or I don't like what you did like that. But this is something for women that's been an issue forever, just the idea of this kind of allegation being like publicly damning for the woman to make Mm -hmm. and for it to gain traction that people want the women to be heard. I think that's a really good movement for us as a group of like listening to what, and these debates are good. Um, but it is, you can't, I mean, how do you decide what art you listen to? This is a long tradition too of artists being really horrible people that make really good art. And, and like the Cosby show did good things. It did a lot of good things. It changed television in America, sure. You have the whole thing about, like, the court of public opinion and that whole thing, too. Like, if you're famous, a lot of the time allegations come out that are unfamous. Like, they aren't true. Right. Because people are just trying to, like, get a settlement or get a buck or whatever, right? But when one after another after another after another So similar, yeah. Then you're like, well, there's probably a lot of weight to these. And I'm I'm not discrediting, like, the the one that comes out that that it doesn't happen. But there's a little bit of skepticism because of the celebrity of somebody when that Mm -hmm. does happen, at least initially. Um, It it supposes, though, that you, you know, you talk about all great, you know, great artists having this tremendous imbalance, this tremendous, and and that's kind of what allows them to do what they do somehow. And I'm not sure if that if that's you know I'm not sure if that's uh, if that has to be the way it is you know I I mean I like you know okay here's George Clooney now what he's doing may not be I don't know if you like his work or yeah. you don't like his work but you know I've met the guy you've probably met the guy he seems to be a pretty balanced guy yeah now so it's possible to have some but who knows who knows what goes on the thing is um, you know that kind of behavior just is not okay period. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know, and then you decide yourself, do I want to watch, am I ever going to watch the Cosby show again? Right. Maybe you're not. That's tough. It's like, you can't, it's hard to separate the artist from the man, so to speak, when the man seems to be pretty monstrous. Well, there's some, now here, look, I mean, I, 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 I did a bunch of these things where I played Woody Allen. Mm -hmm. Okay. So years ago, it used to be, you'd go in and say, you play Woody Allen and be like, oh, that's really cool. Now, if you say it, the first thing that comes up right. is, well, this guy's really sick. Mm-hmm. He really has problems. The thing is, he's been telling you that he has problems for 50 years. Yeah. Look at the films. He's telling it's you. right there. What it's the not veiled is. at all. You ever watch Manhattan? Oh, what my is he gosh. telling you? Yeah. 
He's telling it's you. It's a that, metaphor. Nope. It's actually exactly what it is. He's telling you what it is. Yeah. This is these are his issues. Now, if you go watch Manhattan, you like the movie. Mm-hmm. You just don't want it to be real. Yeah. But you like the movie. Now, so now when you talk about Woody Allen, it's like, I mean, Woody Allen is amazing talent, mm-hmm. and he's changed the world with his talent. But he's also, you know, done some very horrible things, probably. Yeah. You know, when you also look at like Roman Polanski and things like that. Like, I have a hard time with the fact that like not just one person makes a movie. Like Roman Polanski directed the movie, but you know, thousands of people worked on it. So if I don't go see that movie because I abhor <laughs> him. What does that say about the work of everybody else on that film? Like, that's the thing I have a hard time with is like, you know, they, like, think where they have the job, and, and I don't think they're really making residuals off of it anyways after the fact, so maybe it doesn't matter. But the fact that all these creative people worked on something, it's harder for me to like, like a solo stand up, it's easier to be like, yeah, I'm not going to watch your shit well, anymore. But- even more than the idea of what what do we do with their work, I think the more pressing thing is like how do we bring those people to justice? Because, yeah, you, I wouldn't mind watching the Cosby Show forever if I felt like Bill Cosby was in jail for like right. something he did. Do you know right. what I mean? Like right. I can separate the art from the person as long as the person has repercussions for their yeah. actions. And when it's like yeah. they've been paying off people, they've been intimidating people. That's the issue. It's not were they funny and a genius. It's why hasn't someone made them pay for that? Right. Like, that behavior, that specific behavior, yes, is 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 wrong and needs to be dealt with. Right on its right. own. And that behavior, yes, but but not but not the concert film. Right. Like the concert film is not a crime. Right. <laughs> and right. and the show is not a crime. And the stuff he did for education and for kids. Right. And Fat Albert and you go down the line. Those are all really viable, great things. Those are great things. But then put him in jail for doing horrible things and listen to the women that are bringing this stuff up. And did you guys watch that clip where the Associated Press um, person is asking him? They just released it yesterday. There was an interview and the interviewer, this part didn't air, but then they put it online, um, is like, well, it's with Bill Cosby and his wife. um, And he says, I I hate to ask you this, but I want to know, like, in response to these allegations... And he's like, we're not going to talk about that. And then the guy was like, well, I know you don't want to talk about it, but do you have any... He just did kind of a follow-up. And he was a pretty... I mean, he's asking the questions, but he was pretty meek. He didn't say anything rude. And Bill Cosby got really creepy and intimidating. And um, to me, it was like, that is the face of the man that you do not go against. If you're a 25-year-old woman that wants a career, are you going to bring it up? No, that man is terrifying. Like he is, And this is him years, years later when it's not a weak person. This is him on camera with an interviewer. Like to imagine the kind Mm. of power someone like that can wield, it makes me feel really, really frustrated at like that injustices can go like that. So I just wish there was a balance of like, Hey, you make your stuff. And if you do a bad thing, you go to jail. Right. You know, it's that's across the board. Yes. Politics. And that's entertainment. Usually those two areas. Yes. Those two, especially who knows what's going to happen with Bill Cosby out of this. I mean, one thing that's definitely happened is his career's done. Like no one's going to like everything that he was in the works has been halted or killed or whatever. So there's that. But at this point, you know what he's seven, what 80, 70, something. And everything is past statute of limitations basically. Yeah. So like, who knows what, if anything's going to be served to him legally, he might not serve a second of any sort of time. The only thing that's going to happen because of this is the public doesn't want to see him anymore. So he's going to disappear to, you know, wherever he's going to go. But hopefully a bigger thing happens for women too, that, 
that people, because of this, become braver with their own experiences. And it doesn't take people forever to call someone out because just knowing that you're allowed to do that and it doesn't make you seem bad, I think is the biggest lesson. Hopefully women will take away that, yeah, you shouldn't be intimidated away from doing this because it wasn't just you. That's one of the biggest things. Like everyone that thinks it was their fault or it was just them. And now like women come out of the woodworks. It's like, no, that's the other person. Like there's a monster involved. Yeah. So, and, and, but, and then the idea about just, just celebrity and just the idea that, you know, when you adore somebody and you're watching their work, there's like this, there's this, this dynamic, this chemical thing that happens. And what seems to happen is you think that they have something that you don't have. Mm -hmm. And so you project all your, uh, all the stuff that's in you already onto them. Yes. And you think that they're responsible for putting it there. Like like this person, like Bill is great. Mm -hmm. I don't have any of that. Well, it's not true because if you couldn't access those feelings, if you didn't have them inside you already. Mm. So it's this idea of you're up and I'm down. And that's what starts to set that ball in motion. And you keep feeding that and it it becomes this thing that that, that is, uh, I'm not going to allow you to be a human being and make mistakes because you're Bill Cosby. And then he believes that. Right. And then he starts thinking, I can't make mistakes. I Power can't, corrupts. I, I can do, yeah, it, absolutely. And so there's that, 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 that dynamic. And you would think that that would start to change because there's so much more access now. But it's not changing at all. What's no. hard is with like people whose work you really respect that these things come out and then it turns out that they're not great people. I almost feel like that kid in Eight Men Out who, when he sees Shoeless Joe Jackson, is like, say it ain't so, Joe. Right. Say it ain't so. Because you want these people you know, they can be human beings, but you want them to be like law abiding, respectable yeah. human beings yeah. to begin with, you know. And, and then can you like their work? The question right. is, can I can I like his work knowing like knowing when you things? Yeah, can I can I do that? Because Van Gogh was not a happy you know, he was a very disturbed person. Maybe not a great coffee companion, maybe not somebody you'd want to know as a person. Can I still look at the painting? If I can't look at the painting, then the world, I don't know how you, but like you said, it's the behaviors. Yeah. People are not their behaviors. They really, as crazy as that is to say, they're not, it's a behavior. Something Mm -hmm. happened, but that's not really who anybody is inside. That's not who Walter White is inside. I mean, he, he had behavior, he had issues, but he was still, he was a human being who had all these different parts of himself. The problem with the media is that you're forced to push it down. Mm-hmm. And when you push that stuff down, it comes up it's in other places. It's going to come up, yep. And it comes up in behavior. But you're not your behavior. You, 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 you know, people are not their behaviors. They have more to them than that, but it's hard to say when, you're in, when, when the camera's on you. You think that that is the, the totality of the person. And, uh, you know, look, when I... I'm not, I'm not in therapy anymore, but I, I, you know, what's today? I should have been, but I, but I, I, you know, when I used to see my therapist, it was like seeing your teacher. You'd see him in that little office, and then you'd see him buying a latte, and it was like, I can't oh. talk to you when you're buying a latte. I don't know who you are. Yeah, right. Um, so there's there's some I don't know I don't know what the, there's no answer to it, but but the the idea is to separate the behavior from the the person yes that behavior is not okay and what's crazy about this whole thing is like these allegations have been out there for 30 years or whatever but like it took hannibal burris making a joke an off-handed joke yeah about bill cosby being a rapist or whatever that caused all this to come back up it's so weird that that's the thing that did Mm -hmm. it um and you know 
I do think it's a good thing for women now that these things are being paid attention to. Yeah. And hopefully they'll be brave enough to come forward when these things happen because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's important. But uh, it's so it's just so crazy to think that it was ju- it took a comedian making a joke in his set a male comedian making a joke in a set had way more impact than thirteen women putting a lawsuit against a man, which is like what? Wow. Yeah, it's and it's been happening surreal throughout history. Yeah. I mean, this is now we have media that covers it. Yeah, what happened when there was no you know what happened in the fifties? You know? We just thought these guys were great, you know? Yeah, yeah. JFK, greatest Ooh. guy in the world, you know? I mean, such a brilliant, charismatic figure. What was happening be, behind the scenes? But, any, but at any rate, the, 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 um, you know, that idea that you can project onto a screen something that you think you don't have yeah. is really, you know, you, de- you devalue yourself a little bit. And that's kind of what fame is built on, like knowing that people will do that. Yeah, and play and playing on it, and yeah. then and then there's just exciting moments. I mean, you you guys have you know we've all done shows and things where you have that moment where you're like, this is really what I'm supposed to yeah. be doing. That's what I love. It usually feels very easy. Usually mm-hmm. feels effortless. Yeah, but you're taught that you know it, has, it should be a struggle or else it doesn't have any value. Um, those moments, like I was on The Sopranos, and I and I had the time of my life being with people who are great actors. And it was very easy. Mm. And they were amazing. And you look at yourself and you're saying, okay, this is something to aspire to. This is really, these people really like to do this work and they're doing it. Yeah. And they feel good about it and they try it. Really, they try to be the best that they can be. And that's what this show is about. And then, and then, you, and then you think that that's what your life is going to be. <laughs> and, then, mm. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then next week comes yeah. and there's something else. But... But that feeling is in you. That's not in them. You know, it didn't come from them giving it to you. That's like something that you can follow. Well, you do a lot of career coaching, right? Is that how you would, how would you classify what you do? I don't un- even understand it. Now, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm doing is, I'm, what I'm actually trying to do is I'm trying to take the stuff that I know that's from my life and make it into something that I can create books and movies and TV mm-hmm. shows with, which is basically self-help comedy. It's uniting therapy and self-help with comedy, but it's not the marriage ref. What I'm trying to do is take <laughs> Zach Galifianakis-level comedy and then add actual therapy to it, hmm. add, add actual self-help principles. So I do this little thing called Ed Talks, and I've been trying to develop it. And I have another show where people come out and they, they act out their real-life issues with a therapist and a panel of comedic acts, like an emotional who's line. Mm. But it's real therapy. It's not like it's not like like we're gonna pay, make people laugh and then they'll it'll be about a topic. This is like a woman's crying because she realizes that her mother never loved her. Okay, and it's it, I, I do it with funny people. Yeah. So I do it with people that you know. Um, Moon Zappa came on a lot, and I, nice. I do it with her, and stuff would come up, real stuff. And then there's humor on top of it hmm. because the people who are doing it are funny. And so if you're in a scene and you're playing her father, then you do a spit to, you know, there's something right. that comes up and it's really funny, but it's really about something. And I've seen people like move through their issues in two seconds. Wow. Guided by a therapist. It's guided by yeah. a professional uh, psychodramatist, you know, nice. by a guy. So it's really... You know, a, a woman comes on. She says, I, I hate my mother. He says, how's that going to resolve itself? She says, in a funeral home. 
And he says, well, that's very lucky because this is a funeral home. And I'm going to have Moon Zappa come over here and lay down in this grave and be your mom. She's finally gone. And now you get to do the eulogy. Now, these are funny people crying. Now, the audience is like gasping. I mean, she's really crying. Yeah. And on the panel are other people, like Jimmy Pardo was there that night. Mm. And he looks down and he says, I have one question. Why is Moon Zappa laying down in a grave like, like she's a guest star in CSI Miami? Who lays down in a grave like that? <laughs> it's like an attention-grabbing thing. And people roar. And over the next 10 minutes, she'll play her mother, herself, people in her life. She'll be supported by the other actors. The therapist guides it. And at the end of 10 minutes, she has a different relationship with her mom. Her mom's not there. Woof. So that's what the show is. That's one of these types of shows. Yeah. So I'm trying to create a whole media company that does this type of stuff. Nice. I mean, if you want some other titles, you could do, what are you afraid of? Uh, right. You have to come. <laughs> You're, I'm hiring you immediately. <laughs> because what are you afraid of is a show. That's, that's not. App, a, it's that's not a, a show. show. Yeah, that's a brand. Is. That's a channel. <laughs> that, but that is exactly it. You should be in the. T- you should be in a tech startup company. <laughs> and it you should- already look like you could be in a tech startup. Oh, you are, and it's a, and it's a naming. Co- you know, there's a, a guy I know up north. He, he he is in a naming company. It's Let's a branding company. That didn't you saying. used to work for a branding company? No, her, my friend did. Mark. Oh yeah, the yeah. Ziva story, right? Lexicon uh, branding. Yeah, you Lexicon. probably know it. Mark Hershon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mark named the uh, Power Book. Mark named Dasani Water. He named uh, the Tenavo. the Metreon yeah. in San Francisco that complex. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, Metreon. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it's fantastic. That's uh, you know that'd be a great job. But he's been doing that for years. Yep, it's funny. It's funny. Crazy. Are you from San Francisco? Uh, I went. I lived there for like ten years. I went to college there, and I found my festival up there and stuff. So I still go back every year. In San Francisco. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. I lived in North Beach for twelve years. Nice. Yeah, that's where I. I mean, I, I don't understand there. why you didn't live there. No, I never lived there. You don't need the crap. I don't need that. Why do you need that bullshit? I don't. San Francisco. You know? Fuck that city. <laughs> Welcome back <laughs> to Frisco <laughs> The talk show that calls Frisco, San Francisco Frisco to piss off people in San Francisco. <laughs> well, they hate Frisco. They hate it so much. Who made up Frisco? Mark Hershon. Someone who did it. <laughs> right after he made up the Powerball. He had to come up with a list of 500 potential names for San Francisco. Frisco. Frisky? No. Frisca? No. Fresca? No. Oh, but we're going to use Fresca. <laughs> we use it to, we hop on the backs of, that's fantastic. Now, I've heard, now, believe it or not, I've heard a lot, of course, I've heard for like, so many years about Sketchfest and how great it is, and you eh, just kidding. <laughs> and you, you, and you, and you came up with that idea. You started yeah, I'm that one idea. Of three people that started it, yeah. And or maybe from what you, from the idea that you had in starting it to what it's become, what is it? How does how does it look to you in terms of what you had in mind when you started it? Oh, we had no idea it was going to be what it is. It was just a we bet, we were in a sketch group. We had we bounded together with five other local sketch groups, running a theater for a month, called it a festival. That was the idea. It was just to like get us together to use our marketing to get people in the seats. It, there was no plan to make it a big thing, but it did well. And then the next year, like, well, maybe we can make this a thing, and then blew up. This is, it, is twelve years now. Uh, this will be our fourteenth. Fourteen. Yeah. Jesus. Oh my gosh! Ten year anniversary was four years ago. Yeah, crazy. Right? Woof. That's not okay. Yeah, it's not okay. 
It's fantastic, <laughs> it's fan, it's fantastic that, that you – well, that's a great city for it. it because that's, that's one of the reasons we've been able to do it. I always joke that if it was the Fresno Comedy Festival, we probably wouldn't – one, wouldn't get comedians to want to come up and hang out yeah. there. Right. Uh, and the, I mean, who knows what the demand is in Fresno. If there are Fresno listeners, I don't know. Maybe you have a great comedy community. But I just put that <laughs> off the top of my head. Maybe you should start calling your city Frisco. There you yeah. go. And then Think maybe – or Crisco. And then Ooh. you can tie it in with that brand. Uh, right. But, but uh, now I just came from a screening of a movie. Movie that you would love if you haven't seen it. It's called Three Still Standing. And it's a documentary about Johnny Steele and Larry Bubbles Brown. We're going to be screening that, I think, in the festival. You should. It's yeah. fantastic. And I'm so proud. Johnny, I mean, and Will Durst. And it's a great... It, the filmmakers did a great job because they really told the life story of these three guys. But they also told the story of comedy in San Francisco and how it's changed and what happened with the boom and what happened when it went bust. And yeah. it's very interesting. And it's, it's, a t- it's a movie that where you see a comedian as a full person. And that in itself is a very rare thing to right. see in a film. Speaking of loss to the comedy community, Mike Nichols passed oh. a couple days ago. I know. And, uh, talk about an amazing talent. And not only as a comedian, like I have the Nichols and Mayer Doctors album on my wall. We have like a grid of like 12 uh, old comedy records on our wall, which is great. But, um, you know, to start from that route and then turn into such a prolific and amazing director. Yeah. Um, just such a great talent. A great. Well, the other thing is listening to Nichols and May. I don't think there's ever been anybody like that. I don't think there's ever. ever I've never heard a, a team that speaks in a normal voice, like a tone. And that does these characters that are absolutely brilliant, but the the tone of it is very um, it's very conversational, yeah. yeah, and it's not performery, and and that is so rare about them. They just that blend of the two of them, and then their story about how they split and didn't talk to each other for a long time, and then had a, rec- a reconnection many years. Later, I mean, this was years and years they didn't talk to each other, and it was through some misunderstanding. I don't I don't really know. But, crazy. but yeah, but 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 Nichols and May. Everybody should listen to Nichols and May. They're great because it's first of all, it's absolutely brilliant. But it proves that you don't have to be big to be funny. Yeah, and yeah. that is an unusual idea for people to grasp. Well, it's like an intimate kind of humor. You yeah. know, it feels a little voyeuristic too. Yeah, um, well, you're, these are people. You know, these are people. They're having a conversation. They're having a moment, and it's usually an extreme moment in a very plain atmosphere. Yes. I almost feel like you can feel the influence of Nichols and May in Robert Altman movies because he very much does the thing of like people talking, dropping in in conversations, multiple conversations mm-hmm. happening at the same time, which is yeah. something that he really pushed. But well, yeah, I did the uh, talk with the guys who did the California Split, this uh, movie with Elliot Gould and George Segal. Yeah, it's a great movie. And I had the cast come in, and they and they the thing that they talked about is the sound design of how Robert Altman would. Would, would wire, would mic his movies because you'd get this amazing full sound. Like if you were in a poker room, he, he, he recorded it like nobody else had ever recorded. And everybody in that movie is a compulsive gambler. Right. The guy who wrote it is a compulsive gambler. The only one who's not is George Siegel, but they're all compulsive Real gamblers. Real life compulsive gamblers? Yeah. Oof. So everybody some authenticity to the production. <laughs> yeah. So everybody is. So they Yikes. they're talking and they know it. And and he said, uh, you know, he said that, that that this was and and then the idea that you have this script, but that you let people have their their moments and add to it. 
was am- an amazing it was thing. To, uh, finance though, the, <laughs> the, the Any budget's forty thousand dollars. It's eighty thousand. Oh, we have no budget. <laughs> I get it. Where did it go? I don't know. But who's playing the Giants? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, years ago when Closer came out, that Mike Nichols movie that was based on the play, mm-hmm. um, they did a test screening in Santa Monica that uh, my wife Jenny and I went to. And we sat towards the back where the seats were like we like to sit the back anyways. But um, there were some seats that were taped off, and we're like, "Oh, it's probably for like you know executives or whatever." Or it's so early because it was about a year before the movie came out. We're like, "Maybe Mike Nichols will be here," and he was. Mm. So he was sitting across the aisle from us. And one thing we noticed was rigged up to his chair, like Jerry rigged on with like duct tape or whatever, was like a little joystick with a little red button on top. I'm like, "What the hell is that?" Was he marking laughs? Yeah. Well, what we noticed is periodically throughout the film, that's so cool. He would punch the top of the thing, and and then I asked after the fact somebody like, "What what is he mm. doing?" And they're like, "Oh, that just time marks something, so he can go back and look at that spot." So whether it's oh, it's dragging here, or oh, this got a big laugh, or whatever, like he's he's basically marking the time in the film so he can go back and look at it. Oh, that's that so moment. cool. Without having to like sit there and write down, yeah. like, what, what's the time thing? Literally, it's just punch, punch an, a joystick button. An absolute genius. An absolute genius. And the fact that here's, a, you know, it's fascinating, like comedy people who come in, and now he's going to direct a movie. And what's the movie? The movie is going to be Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Yeah. That's the movie he's going to direct. He came from a comedy team. Now he's going to direct Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. He's got Richard Burton and Elizabeth Because Taylor. to be that funny, you have to get it. You have to get all those colors all to be able to be the kind of funny he is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's it. The, those, those, the doctor sketch. I mean, you're just listening to more gauze and the timing and the ability also to trust silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those people, I mean, silence was their friend. It was not an enemy to, to those kind of performers. And then you listen to the nightclub audience listening to that. This is happening live. You're in, they're in a nightclub act. And so they're doing their more gauze thing. Well, the audience does, isn't saturated with media. So when they go to the theater, they can listen and mm-hmm. be present. And when it's quiet, they know that that's part of a show. It's actually part of a show to be It's quiet. not time to tech. Like text. <laughs> right. It's quiet. What, yeah. you know, and you know, they're listening. And I listen to these storytellers, like Gene Shepard was the guy who did uh, Christmas Story. Christmas story. Yeah. Well, he used to do stand-up. He took his stories into a nightclub. And you're listening. It's like, oh, my God, there's like three or four or five minutes without a laugh or a sound. And, and it's a live club. Somebody's drinking and they're watching. It's just a whole different feeling it's a they're not being killed by media they're not they're not their senses are not dead from media these yeah, audiences nowadays it's like you got 25 seconds to get a laugh or something that's gonna you know really grab them or they're just gonna like tune out look yeah. at their phones yeah, they, yeah i mean milton, milton burl i remember we were doing the friars club and he said why is your generation in such a rush like when they get he said the audience isn't listening to you for the first few minutes that you're on a stage they they don't care what you say all they're doing is they're looking at you. They're thinking, who does he look like? Who does he remind me of? What is he? You know, what kind of person is he? They don't. They're not listening. So when I worked with all these like old timers, like I did, did a show with Shelley Berman, and you're walking, he doesn't even talk to the audience. He walks around the stage for a minute and a half, puts his jacket down, puts a glass of water down, looks up at the ceiling. Wow, this is some joint, huh? Wow, look at this. Huh? What a night. And they, they do that for a reason. They're actually making themselves at home on a stage. I, uh, they used to do this thing in, at SF State 
back when I went there in the 90s, called Veterans of North Beach Comedy Wars thing. It was a benefit for the athletic department, which makes no sense. But uh, so it was all these old-time comics doing time. So it was like Shelley Berman, Ronnie Shell hosted it every year. Oh, Ronnie um, Shell, I knew So it was yeah. like Fred Willard, uh, Harvey Corman, yeah. Tim Conway, Don Knotts right before he died. Wow. All these, like, you know, amazing guys getting money for the athletic department at San Francisco State, <laughs> which felt weird to me. I was like, shouldn't this be for, like, the theater department or something? Like, I don't <laughs> no, care about the jocks. I guess you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was amazing, like, you know, me being, like, a, you know, 18, 19-year-old comedy fan, like, but who respected the roots of it, I was stoked to go to this thing. And, you know, we went for a couple of years. The lineup changed every year. But just seeing these guys, you know, do these shows was amazing. Seeing Don Knotts live just do 10 minutes of him, like, you know, reading a, one of his speeches and shaking the whole time. Yeah. I had to, like, resist shouting out Attaboy Luther because I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, but would have loved it. Yeah, it's just, it's... Amazing to think that those guys worked those clubs as long as they did, yeah, and still had an act <laughs> at that point. You know, they still had an act, and they and they still and they loved performing, and they could perform, and they could do it in front of a, in front of an audience. And so, they, when it came to time to turn a camera on, they were like, "I don't care. I, I've been doing this yeah. in front of audiences live, so I can do it in a camera. I can do a movie." The, the the interesting thing too was the community that surrounded those people because those guys were friends for, for 30, 40, 50 years. So they had this thing out here. A lot of them, these old now they're gone, but uh, they had something called Yarmy's Army. Yarmy's Army was Don Don. I've Adams. never heard of this, and I'm really excited. Oh, right this is really good. Don, yeah. Don Don Adams' real name is Don Yarmy. And the guy who did get smart, right? So, so he had a brother who got sick, and the brother was in the hospital. And so every week, Don Knotts and his, Don Adams and his friends, who were Chuck McCann and Sam Denoff and Don Knotts and Jonathan Winters and all these people, they would go try to cheer this guy up. So they went every week. Well, finally, the guy after you know like six months, he died, and they decided to continue getting together. And so what happened is every month they would hold in Westwood upstairs in a restaurant. They'd get together for the purpose of gathering, telling stories, having dinner, checking in on each other's lives. And some of it was funny and some of it was very sad and some of it was tragic, but they all went through it together. So I went there one night, got invited by somebody and I was lucky to go. And, you know, Tom Poston gets up and he starts doing a toast to somebody's wife who had passed away. And people are crying. And then in the next few minutes, he's doing a joke. He comes up to me and he says, you know, I, 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 I met my priest and he had a little boy hanging from his arm. And I said, doctor, what's going on with that? I mean, uh, what's going on with that, Reverend? He said, I'm on the patch. And so, so, so it's like that's right after the speech about Whoa. the wife who died. So, so it's just fantastic. And this is the way these people sustain their lives. They have this sense of community. They had performers' tables where if you were from out of town, you could go and not be alone hmm. and, and be in this community and hear storytelling. And I'm looking at these faces, and they're like famous faces. And uh, they've been in the business for 40 or 50 years, and they've sustained it. And that's how they've sustained it. They have this connection with other people. I mean, we have this with friends and things like that. What we don't have is we don't have let's gather. Yeah. We don't have let's gather anymore. Um, and, and, and there's a need for that. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, just hearing that makes me jealous of like 
times of actual communion with people. Yeah, I mean, because again, you go, it goes full circle to, you know, you're a person. Yeah. So why did you move to L.A.? Well, I moved to do these, this kind of work. Well, you're still a person. You still have to have friends. You still have to have community. And the jobs aren't going to be there. The jobs are going to come and go. The yeah. work is going to come and go. Those nights on stage are going to come and go. And even when the jobs are there, you're still you at the end of the day. Like, that doesn't fix you. Yeah, I mean, that, so that's like, that, that kind of community is really important. That's why when all these clubs first start and they get out, I get excited, like Largo, and you go down there and it's like, oh, this is a real thing. Yeah. And then there's another one, and then that gets too famous, and then yeah. another one goes... But so that's why I like an idea like Sketchfest. That is something that brings people together, and then you have this community, and then you see people that you haven't seen in a while, and you realize, oh, we, we're still yeah, people. It's, it's nice when like uh, we I do a lot of stuff over at the West Side Comedy Theater as is Vanessa and stuff, mm-hmm. and that we've been there as that space has grown from being a very empty yeah. spot with like you know a sketchy community to being like now it's packed every night and like everybody knows everybody yeah. and stuff but now the celebrities are starting to come in to do shows too and stuff and it's cool to just feel like oh wow I'm starting part of something now that's really vibrant and really I remember when that place first started and I was, I was talking with that guy when that room was empty and I thought it was a great location and he wanted to do these things with the theater and Mark. he had the screen yeah, yeah and he was great he yeah. was a really nice guy and I I have to go back now I, I mean you know you have kids and nah, there's no excuse for it but but, that, <laughs> but, that, but that's the pro, that's the, the thing is you stop doing those things yeah. like I would go to the fake gallery which is now no more but yeah, I, I go to fake a lot too I'd go to the fake gallery and it's like a thousand miles from my house, but I go there because I wanted to see Paul Kozlowski and I wanted mm. to see, uh, you know, Frank Conniff and whoever was there. And then when you go there, you're like, oh, I remember why I wanted to be in the business. Yeah. I like these people and I like being in a club and I like watching And I have ideas again right now. Oh, you wow, know, I yeah. can do anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I don't have to be in this job that I, I, yeah. I could do, I could really perform, I could be a performer again. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of interesting. You think you don't have any energy, and then you get around something that you love, and all of a sudden you have coffee in your veins. Right. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't tired. I was tired of not stimulating the the person that I am. I was tired of stressing myself out over what I'm supposed to love. Over yeah. What I'm supposed to love. Yeah. Right. right. And that's why I think like you know, there's definitely been times where. Especially back in the day before the place got popular, like we'd be doing shows and working really hard, and like you're just performing for the other comics or the, yes. the other groups, and you're like, why? Are, why am I doing this? I mean, we did some improv shows together where probably there was only the only people watching us was one other improv group, yeah. and it was embarrassing. Like four people <laughs> would swap out, yeah, and like you know, there's nothing beats the rush of doing a show for a good sized crowd and your stuff landing and, mm-hmm. you know, like it, and really feeling like, wow, like we're having, we're creating this together. Yeah. Everybody on stage is coming up with the stuff. The audience is vibing on it or whatever. And we're appreciating each other. And there's nothing better than that. But the flip side, there's nothing worse than going on stage and talking into a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Cause then you're like, why did I put my work into this thing or whatever? Yeah. Like no one, it's so disheartening. Like, and you will have these shows where stuff tanks really hard or nobody's there or nobody's paying attention to you. They're talking the whole mm-hmm. time or whatever. And, you know, places that have bars and stuff like that, you're just hearing glassware clinking yeah. and stuff dropping. And it's such, it's such a crazy extreme, which is no wonder why so many comics and people that do that for a living have serious, like bipolar things happen yeah. because yeah. it's such extremes all the time. Yeah, it, it really, it really is. But, uh, but the, but what you're doing, you love doing it. Yeah. What you're actually doing, the response is big part of it. 
but you love these sketches. Yeah. And you have to. Like, if you don't love it, there's no reason to do it. It's yeah. not like there's a bajillion dollars in right. improv and right. stand-up unless you're, like, one of the very top percent people. It's like most people, if they're able to make a living at it, great. Most yeah. people don't. They have other jobs. And even if you are able to make a living, like, you got to be on the road a lot or you're, you know – having to take gigs that you don't like or whatever yeah. but you love the craft you're not just doing it because like oh look i'd rather do this instead of folding shirts yeah yeah and and, and, and what i am very fascinated by you know i know you guys probably know troy conrad mm-hmm. and the stuff that he's doing because i'm fascinated by it. he has this prompter show where you know you, it's fake ted talks yeah. yeah and i told him because i was in a startup at the time i said that's a business i said these fake speakers you send them out and you send them out to companies and you let them be fake speakers. And then you teach the people at the companies how to improve their presentations using improv skills. Ah, yeah, that's great. And, but you, you have them have books. They have fake books. Yeah. They have e-books. They have a digital space. They have a yeah. thing. But it's fantastic because he's taking basic improv and saying, here's a different housing for it. Yep. In the guise of something that you can relate to now, which are TED Talks. And um, so I, I'm fascinated by what uh, by what he's doing, but I'm interested to get over to the West Side uh, Comedy. Yeah, you should check I, it out because I live there there too. And oh, I, you do? Yeah, yeah. I should. Yeah, it's, I should. it's pretty great now. All right, I'm definitely to a great spot. Definitely going to come by. What what uh, what do you guys like? What what if you could do one thing and just do that one thing? Ooh. Just do one thing. Like you go to, every day. You get up. You go. You do this one thing. What is the thing? Honest, I don't know. I mean, improvising is the happiest I am, I think, when I'm doing improv shows. Yeah. So that, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I like writing, but not in a vacuum. I like writing with a writing partner. So yeah. that would be my one thing, like laughing with a person and then having, getting to craft what we make, you know, because I like to get it down and then work on it after. And then too. stand it up and perform it. Uh, yeah, but I don't even need to. I mean, I really like the act of, like, creating and then I love to perform, but I would say if I had to do something every day, it would be making it. Yeah, I take it back. Refrigerator repair. <laughs> you know, you're right. I just love tinkering with an ice machine in the you're, front. Because you never know what's going to happen. You never do. Sometimes it comes down, sometimes it doesn't. There's one constant. Half uh, empty ketchup bottle. <laughs> it's constant. We're all the same, people. We're all the same. You see, that's what it's all about. And why am I yelling now? Why would I yell into a microphone? Right. To make a up. point. Maybe. Uh, well, let's do firsts. Okay, yeah. great. We do this every podcast. I have a couple of these written down. Should I do the, that one? You yeah. Think? All right. Uh, what was the first talk show you ever saw live? Live. Not on TV. TV. Not on TV. Though uh, like, we can, for our listeners, if you've not been to a live one, Write us with the one you Your first saw. talk show you were hooked on yeah, watching. Hooked basically. on watching. Okay, so live show, I guess it was probably, I want to say, yeah, I want to say it was The Tonight Show, I guess. That was the first one, and it was, but was it Johnny Carson? Yeah, it may have been Johnny Whoa, Carson. Whoa, yeah, that's a, a great first. Ago. Yeah, The Tonight Show. Oh, I would remember that, wouldn't I? I don't know. You know, I mean, I... Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I had a I had a friend who, at 22 years old, was a brilliant comedy writer, and he wrote for Carson. Oh my gosh! And he, but he wrote for Carson, but he had a particular job on the show. He had to write a particular sketch, and it was called Edge of Wetness. The Edge of Wetness sketch is the fake soap opera where the camera goes over the audience members, mm-hmm. and then yeah. you write it. And he says, and then she rubbed Valvoline on the crankshaft of this man. And, and and so, yeah. but that's what he did. There, he didn't do other writing. Oh wow! He did that. 
edge of wetness. Now they didn't do edge of wetness every night. Yeah. So there's an interesting like part of the backstory of you know, and he didn't speak to Carson that much or hardly at all. But I can't. Let's see. Okay, so Dom DeLuise uh, was a guest, and Dom DeLuise. Um, I, I think the movie was The End that he was making with Burt Reynolds, Reynolds, which is one of the best great. Uh, best thing Burt Reynolds ever did, for sure. Um, and uh, he came on and he did an egg trick. And I never forgot the egg trick. He, in those days, like people came on shows and they, they, they had a movie, but they, they had something to do. They had a bit, yeah. They had a bit. Yeah, and so anytime what, Albert Brooks went on. And, right, Albert Brooks said, I got tired of writing bits. <laughs> I got tired of writing. I just ran out of bits. <laughs> and he said, well, Johnny, what happened? He says, well, Johnny, I, I really don't have anything to say. I've run out of bits. <laughs> and he says, well, well Albert, uh, when, when was the last time you were here? It's been a long time. And he says, uh, well, really, John, excuse me, did I leave a comb here? <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it, but it was my favorite one. And he's like, well, you, you've been doing... And now he says, hey, you got a movie defending your life. Congratulations. I hear it's doing very... Actually, Johnny, it hasn't opened yet. <laughs> but thank you. You're very kind. There's a new philosophy. People are driving by the ticket booth, throwing $7 out and saying, we trust you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, yeah, but anyway, but, but so Dom DeLuise, they used to do these tricks, and he comes out with glasses, and he's got these eggs, and if he pulls the... They're all covered. And then when you pull the piece of paper the egg falls into the cup perfectly and it's like a tablecloth yeah trick. and he do- and nobody th- you don't think he can do it and he does it and it's people go crazy oh and so that is like oh that's why i want i want to do this this is like the great that panel and the way that they talked to each other and hung out together and made it look conversational like it was just happening johnny carson no better thing. I mean, you're you're friends with Kevin Pollack. Yeah. You ask him about how Carson used to treat him. He's got great stories about how he had one thing to do with every person where he made he knew how to make you feel comfortable. Mm. So he got your thing and then would do it every time he saw you. It's Terry Gar, who used to be a friend of mine, uh, and and I. She's, there's nobody like Terry Gar. She's always the most amazing person ever, and the most fun to be with. So she's she had done the Academy Awards, and and, and I think it was the year of Tootsie, and she had a they did a, a dance, a dance number, and it was the world's it was the craziest, most ridiculous, horrible dance number anybody's ever seen. <laughs> she's on stage. She's in a mermaid suit. She doesn't know why. And so, <laughs> and, and in front of billions of people, and she was so embarrassed that she didn't want to come out of the house. And so she cancels her spot on The Tonight Show. She says, I cannot, I'm too depressed, I'm very embarrassed, I'm not coming out. And the phone rings. And he says, Terry, we're expecting you down here. I heard that uh, you might not be joining us. He says, well, Johnny, I just, I, you know, I look like shit on TV, and I, I screwed up, and it's very embarrassing, and I don't want to come out. He says, now, you listen to me, young lady. You're going to come down to this theater, and you're going to be amazing, as you always are, and I'm going to help you. And if, you, if, I, if I stopped doing what I'm doing every time I laid an egg in, in public, I wouldn't be on television. I'd be in a, a mental institution. You'll come down. You're, of course you're going to be here. I'll, I'll be expecting you at 245. Oh, my gosh. And he came down, and she, I have the tape, and it, he made her look amazing, and she was hysterical. She was hysterical. You know, it's just like, but that's the kind of, like, if you were a host of a show, 
and you were great. You did those you things. You knew how to take care of people. And yeah. you did. And that was your job. And yeah. whatever else happens, happens. Now, he might have been crazy in other ways, Johnny Carson, but one thing he was not crazy about is I have to listen to you. My only job is to listen to you and to make you look good. Mm. How do I do that? That's my job. And it's amazing. Yeah. So that so that kind of stuff. I mean, that was my first show. But I'll tell you, the truth is, not a ta- not a, ta- a live show, but a taped show. Was it every four every day at four o'clock? Was Mike Douglas, and Mike Douglas. Mm. The thing about that show that was so brilliant is he couldn't, as they say, ad lib a fart at a baked bean dinner. <laughs> he was like, he's like, he couldn't read. He couldn't do. He was a singer, and so what the producer came up with was, we're going to have co-hosts. And we'll have them on for a whole week. And they'll share the burden of the <laughs> thing. Right. And then it'll be fun. Yeah. It with like John Lennon and Yoko. And it was like uh, really famous. John Lennon and Yoko came on. And she was like drying her hair. And her hair took a long time to dry. And the whole audience waited for two hours till her hair was dry. And it was like, it was <laughs> like what, that's what it was. And cool. he would have these. It was the hokiest show. But it was amazing because you got to know these performers for a week. So you really started to know who John Lennon was as a person and who Yoko Ono was. And then on Friday, he would do a slideshow. And the sli- he would sing the hokiest song in the world to the slides. And it would be about what had happened the previous the week. Say, John and Yoko, all my thanks for being my co-host. Hey, this week with you guys. Well, it's really been the most. I mean, it was the worst song ever. <laughs> but as a kid, I'm watching. I watched the whole week. And I, I swear to you. I did not want the week to end. Oh. And so I was really sad on Fridays because it was like, I always wanted to know who these people were. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it wasn't as important to me what they did. Um, and so all my heroes I saw on the Mike Douglas show, he had everybody. And, and he, you spent a week with him. Who knew John Lennon yet liked to garden? Right. So now he's gardening, and Chuck Berry happens to be in the garden. So there, he, and he's smoking something. But I, mean, but I mean, that's so. If anybody, like, if you, those shows were amazing, and they were true variety shows, and they were on the daytime, and so that, and the Ed Sullivan Show. If if for not for those two shows, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't want to even be around entertainment. Oh wow! I mean, those that, that was it. Nice. What about for you? Uh, for me, it was live. It was definitely uh, late night with Conan O'Brien when it was in New York. Oh, cool! That's in a the, good one. Like, late nineties, early two thousands, I think. I did that show, and and that's how much older I am than you guys. That's how <laughs> amazing I am. I could be your great grandfather. I might be your great grandfather. Oh, well, that would be so nice. <laughs> so we uh, we basically like back then it was like you, six months in advance. If you knew you wanted to go, you would like wrote in for tickets or whatever, and then they would say, "Great, you're confirmed for this day." You had no idea who the guests were or any of that. Um, so we didn't know until like the day of or like the week of when they announced the guest for the week, you know, like yeah. through whatever. So we actually got pretty lucky, I guess, considering like with the guests, because the guests were um, Dave Chappelle, yeah. um, Weezer, Jesus. the band, Jesus. and then Molly Sims from House of whatever on MTV fashion show. Um, but, you know, like that was at the time where Chappelle was huge. And mm-hmm. These were just come out with a green album, which uh, which kind of reminds me of the blue album. And it was great. Yeah. Um, but it was really fun. You know, we'd never been to a live taping and stuff like that. You know, didn't know the concept that there's a warm up comic and all that fun stuff, too. And um, 
yeah, it was cool. It was definitely cool. And then we've, I, we, since then, we've gone to like a, just a Conan taping here in LA, which is fun too. But. Well, that show was great because that was that was in New York, and whenever you're in New York, it feels like you're on live TV, which is what TV is supposed to be. It's supposed to be live, right? So, so in that studio, yeah, just being down at Thirty Rock and. All this stuff is pretty amazing. Fantastic. And you feel it coming off the walls. You feel like the, the history and you go in and it's like, it's like, oh, it's going to be live. Something's going to happen. And a stage manager actually holds your shoulders and you're standing in a spot and then the curtain opens and you have to loop. Like you can't walk straight yeah. out. You got to loop around. Right, so the stage manager's holding my shoulders and I said, you're really going to push me out there? He said, oh yeah, I'm going to push you in the back and you're going to loop. And so, oh my so I went out and I'm like, I've never felt anything like that. And he pushes you and the curtain opens and it wa- the, the big curtain opens. And then there's Max Weinberg and there's the, the band and you go out by them and then you curve to the spot that you're supposed to go to. And I was doing this, this stuff, this routine. And I don't think the cameraman knew what I was going to do exactly. And so there's a moment where I, I do this thing, and I went down out of the frame, and the camera goes up. Oh, my it gosh. Just, but it was fantastic. It was like the best. And Conan came to me in, in, in the green room, in the dressing room, and he said, we've got a guest on. All the writers know you. They say you're really funny. Uh, I saw your stuff. Listen, do me a favor. This woman who I'm going to interview from this movie is going to be crap. She's going to be horrible. I'll call you or you'll come. You'll sit on the on the panel with us and at least I'll have somebody to go to Andy and I with this woman, you know? And so it was very lucky. So, Oh, that's awesome. No, it was great. It was great. But it was the bit, it's like you're on live TV. It's happening right then. So surreal. And it's, and it's, but you're in a theater and the theater looks like it's been made for theater. It looks like it's been made for early TV, which is theater. You know, I rem- and it's much smaller than you imagine. Like the the camera tricks that they use in those things to make it look spacious and huge, and then you go in there like, oh, this isn't really that big. Yeah, at all. there's like fifty seats, and it's pretty shallow and not huge. And you're so close to everything. Yeah. It's made for thing. And I remember, I and I used to go to that set a bunch of times, and I remember seeing people like Lily Tomlin, mm-hmm. and I would like I watched her, and she would go on. And she would go and, you know, do one of her characters. And then when they go to break, she'd look at him and I heard her say things, I'm so sorry, that sucked. (sighs) I just hated that. And that's when I realized that no matter who you are, you don't like yourself. Yeah. Uh, at many, yeah. uh, you don't like what you do. Stevie Wonder, same thing. My voice sucks, man. Oh my gosh. Stevie Wonder, standing next to Stevie Wonder. I'm so sorry. Apologizing. Ugh. Just apologizing. And I'm like, okay, then I guess. And I got no hope, and <laughs> it's also good to know. Yeah, it's good to know. It's good to know these are people. What was, uh, what was yours, Vanessa? Um, I think, no, I know. It was Letterman, and it was like 2002 or three. Cold theater, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, right? So chilly. Uh, chilly. Um, it was fun. I didn't. It didn't make me realize why I wanted to perform or anything. I went with my family, and it was like a long line, cold day in New York. Um, and it was fun, but it was uh, not my kind of fun. The guest was Benjamin Bratt. <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah. it well, all just kind of felt like... Well, what what um, was the top ten list? Oh, gosh, I'll never forget. Um, <laughs> no, but it, it was... the. I think the most shocking thing was because I'd never been... 
it was way before I moved to Los Angeles and I'd never been on any kind of like, you know, soundstage or anything like that. And it was realizing how small it was. And I think the warm up comic was my favorite part of it. It was just like, oh, they're putting on a show for us too. As much as they're putting on a show for everyone, they have to like bring us into it. So that was, that was exciting. It was kind of my first like behind the scenes look at how things worked. And that was the most fun part of it. Not the show itself, but the feeling of it. The kind that they really are putting on a show. Yeah, that was cool. Not for TV. Well, let's do my questions, which is, uh, we're going to do a build a movie. Woo! Do this together and add parts to it. Uh, Basically, you can do anybody from any era, any actor. There's no budget constraints. So what we're going to build together is, since you've played Woody Allen uh, several times, is let's build the ultimate Woody Allen New York City movie that doesn't exist yet. Okay. Um, So we'll just keep adding parts to Mm -hmm. it and that kind of thing. So you want to kick it off? Um, It's called Tribeca. Great. And it centers around a 13 year old named (laughs) Becca. (laughs) Uh, Becca is played by uh, Elle Fanning, who's playing a little younger than she actually is. Try Becca. That's a movie that will be done. It'll be made. And it is being done. Yeah. 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 Uh, So, Becca. Is a musical. Is she's a musical prodigy. Mm. She's uh, an amazing clarinet player. Mm-hmm. Thus, Woody will take an interest in oh, the yeah. subject matter. Good idea. Uh, and then Woody plays uh, an old retired, famous jazz clarinetist who. Uh, <gasps> He's her neighbor, and he can hear the music through the walls. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Okay, first of all, darling, <laughs> you're marvelous. You know. Becca, let me tell you something. I don't see you playing the clarinet just upstairs. You know, I see you doing it in hotels and embassies. You know, you can be marvelous, darling. Never took a lesson. You know, I'm going to give, you know, we'll go out. You know, we'll have, do you like coleslaw? Because they have an amazing coleslaw. You're going to really enjoy this. And we'll go out and maybe you'll play. You'll bring a clarinet for the people here at the restaurant. And then they'll play, you know, it'll be like a, like a whole thing. I'm, I'm her music teacher <laughs> she digs me I'm gonna come on with her later be real cool and casual so he agrees to mentor her and also take uh, 15% of her booking oh fees. yeah she, well she has a sister as well <laughs> who's older who I'm stuck in a relationship with <laughs> oh that's good there you go um, <laughs> and I, I don't know who plays her but we also need the mom that's like disapproving but also kind of like a career woman and a little bit absent where was she where was he to her yeah how do you make us a, a, a thing? This is not serious. This cannot be serious. It's played by Allison Janney. <laughs> I want to see a scene between Woody Allen and Allison Janney with her just serving. What are you talking can. about? <laughs> you get your hands off me right now. <laughs> I'm two feet taller than you, and I don't know why I have to explain that to you now. Uh, all right, yeah, I like that. I like that. Wow, Tribeca. Uh, they have. Uh, there's always huge casts of celebrities and yeah. bit parts in his movies. That all show up alphabetically in mm. black and white credits, regardless of their stature. So also in this film, we got to add some more people into this. Mm. Yes. Uh, he goes to a deli a lot, and the guy who works the deli counter is John Turturro. Oh, nice. <laughs> that and, would be uh, good. <laughs> John Turturro is at the deli, and uh, he has a brother that he can't get along with. Uh, who is going to be? Uh, who is played by? Oh, no, he has an uncle, and his uncle is Joe Pesci. Ooh, All that's right. good. Yeah, his uncle is Joe Pesci, and his uncle is actually in some shady business dealings and may have killed a few men. Ooh. And I hope that he doesn't. You know, we don't want to upset you because I'm a bleeder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rhea Perlman is the uh, the landlord. She's the landlady of the um, apartment building. 
apartment. And she knows that some weird stuff's going on, and she starts going through their mail and stuff. She's very nosy. I like that. And Becca, and Becca has a, uh, a mentor, oh. uh, a, a clarinet mentor, and he's played by Michael Caine. Oh, that's great. Uh, because, because, the well, ultimate foe. <laughs> he's, he's the one at the, at the actual like, like musical academy place that she's going so so he's and woody doesn't like him he's trying to discredit him all the time so she's kind of it's sort of like the searching for bobby fisher thing where he's got ben kingsley and he's got Lawrence fishburne oh nice. and nice. jaden smith is her boyfriend in her prep school and right. that's the real that's who woody allen's really up against this jaden smith he could, you know he's hip he wears sneakers you know that the thing how can you prefer know how to, to make me? a sandwich <laughs> How do you prefer? How, I don't understand. Can you explain something to me? Dreadlocks, okay? What, you know, locks is something you see in a deli case. You know, how do you wear it on your head? It's crazy. It looks like Medusa. <laughs> Poor Al Fanning. And, oh, and then just to add this fantastical element, he occasionally Woody has conversations with his old jazz trio, like the two guys. Oh, in the past. that's fun! So, like, they periodically show up in and, a cloud, like in a cloud, whatever, and talk to them, like you're going down the wrong path. And uh, the two old jazz guys are, oh god, they gotta be good. We gotta make this casting is very important. Sam Jackson, Sam and Forrest Whitaker. Oh, that's good. Forrest Whitaker and Sam Jackson. I like that. What are okay, you doing, man? Skip and bipper. <laughs> skip and bip. That's fantastic. I love Tribeca. I think that's a perfect. I, I actually think we should make that movie. Yeah, I would yeah, watch it. I feel like immediately. We just, we just it's uh, a wonderful. It. You know, and I tell you something about this. You don't think that you're going to be. You know, you never think you're going to fall for somebody in a deli who's. <laughs> You know, who's up above you. But I have to say, her, her rendition of Potato Head Blues. <laughs> That's was, what I knew. It was so marvelous that, you know, I couldn't drink my water. I actually bit into a glass. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tribeca coming uh, this holiday season. I hope uh, so. Rick, if you're listening, he's been doing posters of our Builder movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, we this look forward to poster. your uh, poster for Tribeca. Um, <laughs> these are my questions. I don't know if you can handle them. Okay. Well, have you ever met an Olsen twin? <laughs> No, the closest I've ever gotten oh. to an Olsen twin is uh, Taylor Negron, who's been, <laughs> who's been in the, who worked with the Olsens. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, and Bob Saget. I'm friends with Bob Saget, yeah. Well, so that's I mean, pretty close. Yeah, that's close. But not. But no, not. I've never met them. And my daughter loves you know, to, some of their movies, which we have for her on VHS. Like How the West Was Fun? No. Oh, you got to check that out. Tell me. That's a good one. Tell me. I mean, it's, how was it fun? Because they were there. (laughs) Were they wearing berets? No, no, no. no, no. That's a different movie. (laughs) Um, Okay, if you could play a comedian, because you played a comedian on The Sopranos, if you could play a comedian on another dark drama, which one would you like to pop up Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I would love to, uh, I'd love to have a scene where Walt uh, comes in with... uh, with um, Jesse, Jesse, and they, uh, you know, they just sort of find themselves there as a place to get at away from. Yeah, and they're at a club, and the routine is just, you know, how many people? Where are you from, uh, sir? And he's like talking to them, and he says, "This guy, the ball guy, and the other kid." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, look at these guys. What are well, you like? Right out of Central Casting. What are you? Which actually happened to me. I I, I was in Vegas doing a show. And a guy, there was a small audience, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and a guy comes in, very well-dressed, with literally a suit that was so tight that you could see the gun in the pocket. Oh, my gosh. four women with raincoats. (gasps) And they put their feet up on the stage. And instead of being, like, having my wits about me, I looked at him and I said, 
Come on, Goodfellas. What, what what's going on here? Seriously, ladies, you know this gentleman, sir. I can see your gun. Oh, and I just my gosh. everything that you would not do. I just started to do, and I they pulled me off stage and they hid me in a different part of the hotel. Are you like serious? Somebody else came out and started doing performing. And they hit me in a different part of the hotel. And this guy happened to be on 60. There was like a 60 minutes story about how he supposedly had somebody bumped off. And Whoa. it was like a weird thing. I don't know what happened. But that was like, but that would be the show. I like this removal business. Yeah. <laughs> there. And I feel good. I like how it works. That is a cashmere coat. <laughs> By the way, that's my mentor, the guy who wrote that movie, uh, My Favorite Year. Which is oh, an really? amazing movie. Right? Amazing. It kills me. Norman watch. Steinberg wrote that movie and the story story of my favorite year. Is, one of my favorite lines ever is in that movie, which is, I think Alan Swan's beneath us. Of course he's beneath us. He's, <laughs> he's an, an actor. actor. <laughs> Swan, you call that acting? It's running and jumping and drinking and hopping. Benji, lights! <laughs> no. I mean, that, that movie is... It's but perfect. that was a four-year process of him writing that movie. Uh, Mel Brooks came to him and he said, he said we th- I think we should do your show of shows. And they were going to do something about like wh- somebody coming from Wyatt Earp was going to be on the show and say, well, why don't you do, why don't you do Errol Flynn? You know, uh, and this was from his life. And then he changed Steinberg is, is his name. Um, and I do the lines to him every time I talk to him on the phone. I was like, Bill May Steinberg, Karoka. <laughs> Who turned Manny Serpent to guava jelly at the garden? I'll fight Serpa again. It's, so, it's fast, but what, what do we, I've gone to so many screens of that movie. What do you love about that movie? It's, it's, um, it's sweet. And it has this empathy, uh, and the opening of the movie is Nat King Cole. It's a comedy movie, but it's not Get Me to the Greek. It's get, it's, it's get Me to the Greek would be that movie if it didn't have any of the soul and any of the heart of, of what that character is about. He wants his hero to be not a human being. He wants him to be a, a movie star. And the guy says, I'm not, a, I'm not an actor, I'm a movie star. Right. Yeah, it's so cool. good. Give him some tires. White walls are nice. What? Oh, Bill May seen that movie. Yeah. Alice, you look real good today. You get the shoes I sent you? Yep, but they were too small, and they were used. <laughs> yeah, really good movie. If listeners, you've not seen it, my favorite year. It's from like 82, I want to say. Peter yeah. O'Toole got an Oscar nomination but did not win because they just didn't reward good things. Nah. Um, yeah, and no. it's, it's a perfect movie. Yeah. Watch it. My, my mom quotes year. it constantly, too. And I met, I met, what's her name? I met Lainey Kazan. I started doing the lines with her. And say, say, uh, like, for, uh, please welcome to our humble chapeau. Six years at the Sorbonne, she still gets it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, this is, uh, oh yeah, this is a good one. How do you think you could help me with self help, Ed? What would your game plan be for me? Um, for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you seem to be maybe pretty well adjusted. I'm pretty well adjusted. You are. So, I mean, like the I'd only... Like to refer you to old uh, podcast episodes. <laughs> uh, I would say the self-hatred no. is the worst part. The self-hatred thing? Yeah. And crowd, fear of people. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, I would, say, I would say to you to, uh, you know, I would, I would basically do uh, breathing exercises with okay. you. And I would say to um, every time that you, you feel afraid when mm-hmm. you're in a crowd, uh, start b- breathing and say little things to yourself in your head as you're breathing. Or I would say, um, ask yourself to be more afraid. Oh. Rather than resist it, welcome it and ask it to do more. Like I've had panic attacks psychology. where I've said to myself, wow, you're really afraid. Can you be more afraid? 
I wonder if you can do more. And what happens is instead of contracting, you expand. Whoa. And that's when the feeling goes out. That's great advice. Yeah. So it's so it's like we think the pain comes from resisting. Yeah. It comes from like calm down, calm down, calm down. Yeah. So have it and have it more. Ooh. And let it speak and and say I'm going to let you have as much room as you need to be as afraid as you can be right now, and it goes away immediately. Wow. Yeah. That was a really good answer. Well, I made it up. I'm taking it. Um. Okay. Afraid of. Episode two. I'm not kidding. <laughs> are you afraid of the dark? You could do that too. Oh, yeah. Either way. I think what I, are you afraid of is perfect. What are you afraid of? We're going to do a what are you afraid of. That's, that's going to be a show. All I'm right. not kidding. Take it to air. No. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, you've angered a wizard, and yes. he's giving you an option between two punishments. Yes. Either you have these pointy, half-inch, curly corkscrew hairs that push out through random places of your skin 20 times a day. Okay. Or you have cloven hooves forever. Uh, just on your feet. Oh, just on your feet. But, I mean, that really limits shoes, and I don't think you can walk up right. I don't like the hooves. clip-clopping. Yeah. Uh, I don't appreciate <laughs> it, and I don't need it. A lot of people seem to need it. Not I this guy, like high-powered female lawyers. Clip-clop, clip-clop. You can, clip, you clop, can clop. become a musical artist and do clip-clop hip-hop. You know what? That's true. I could bring back, I could be a Foley artist, and I'd be like, they'd be like, where are you going? I'm looping. There you go. Don't is, talk to me. I'm and they're going to be like, this is his only thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's right, impressive, but, like, but this is where it is. But like 24 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. Comes home, can't wear shoes, very loud. Yeah. Uh, not, not uh, you know, can't sleep with them because it's very, you know, it's very tight in oh, there. Oh, yeah. But cloven hooves, no. But I would say I'd be the other guy. I'd have the... The, the hairs push through. And if it were not all over, if it were just in my own head. No, it has to be random in parts oh, of your no, body. Oh, no, then I can't have that. So no, then I'm the cloven hooves guy. Yeah. I'm like, and I probably have the body of a, you know, the body of a, a you know, of a bodybuilder and the head mm-hmm. of a certified public accountant. No, okay, or I have, sure. No, I you're still you, honey. You're still you. I can't you. be me. <laughs> I can't be me now, obviously. No, I can't. Things just got worse. Wow, my God. I've been trying. Well, couldn't I give away my identity? The identity crisis that there was a service like Tinder and you actually said, mine's not working for me. Who are you? <laughs> And Can you we just upgrade gave it. or downgrade? Yeah. yeah, and you just gave it, and you say you it's go. a way to date, but it's also you're not dating who you are. You're dating who you wish you would become. That's dark. It is dark, <laughs> and it's coming to FF. Uh, okay, this is the final question. If you could insert yourself into any Cary Grant film as Cary Grant in this film, which one do you overtake, and how does it change the trajectory of the movie? That's a great question. Um, I'm gonna have to. I'm. I'm I'm torn between two. Mm -hmm. His Girl Friday, Mm. because of the dialogue. Yes. Uh, And I would say uh, uh, Philadelphia Story, because I love that role, and I just think that's great because he gets to be charming, but he actually has moments of real drama in there. Um, So I probably would have to pick... Uh, his Girl Friday because I think it has all of the above and because you get to do dialogue on the heels of other people's sentences yeah. and it's great. I, for some reason I would choose Father Goose. I just love it. <laughs> I grew up Is that a it. real answer? Yeah. yeah. Father Goose. That movie so goddamn much. That's wow. so cute. Wait, wait. What do you love about Father Goose? I, don't know, I just watched it a ton when I was a kid. Like it's just one of those like kind of funny little family yeah. comedies. It's nice and innocent and goofy and I don't know. I just always loved it. So hmm. I revisit every once in a while and it's pretty much what I remember it being. It's if yeah, I could be anyone in moment. any movie, I'd be Catherine Hepburn in Philadelphia Story because 
It's a perfect movie it, to me. Well, you could do it. I. I mean, it'd be a good good movie. Love it. Yeah, it's so perfect. much. It's I would movie. like if Philadelphia Tracy would like Lord to do Tracy the, uh, the the Jimmy Stewart part because Jimmy Stewart drunk it was. Oh my gosh, it's the best. The ad lib when he says uh, <laughs> Excuse me. Yep. Yeah. And it's ad libbed. Yeah. yeah. I, so great. I know. What well, a perfect movie. I think that is a you know I have that I watch it all the time. Actually, there are movies that I go to sleep to. Oh yeah, and there are some movies that are like really—they're not—they might not be great movies, but they're great movies to go to sleep to. For me, that's Uptown Girls with Brittany Murphy and Dakota Fanning. <laughs> it's a Her, horrible movie, but, but it's a great movie to go to sleep it's to. It's very calm, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, all the President's Men. It seems really weird. I know. It seems really weird. But to talk about sound design, the, the tone is very slight and it's very even. Yeah. And it's suspenseful, but, but it's, not, it's not dramatic. It's not loud. It's a movie where people are typing and there's tremendous drama created by it. That's mm-hmm. how good that movie is. They, they go to the thing and they, they can't. They're being, they've had surveillance on them from the government. So they have to type the messages to each other. So one gets up and he types it, and then the other one gets up and types it, and they actually have that in the scene. That's a great movie. All mm. the president, yeah. But uh, also the American president. Oh yeah, is very um, the soundtrack, the West Wing for that reason. You like everything White House? I do. The White House is so boring. It's so <laughs> it's comforting. A perfect thing to the snooze too. Of the White House is very comforting. The actual White House is the opposite. Not comforting, yeah. and that's what America is all about. <laughs> Well, you did it, Ed. You made it all the way through the podcast. Uh, You're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at at Ed Krasnick. Uh, You know, I wish I had your names. If I had Cole Stratton and Vanessa Ragland, I'd be a big star. Really? Well, you need to tell me what to do with that, honey. Exactly. It's at Ed Krasnick. uh, And also uh, Ed Talks, which is a uh, a Facebook thing. And it's going to start out as a Facebook thing. And uh, and Humor Me, I'm bringing back, uh, which is a podcast podcast. you know, talking to funny people, that's all. Nice. Yeah. Well, check all those things out. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Cole Stratton. I'm at Vanessa Ragland. The podcast is at PMC Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for being here, Ed. Uh, it's an absolute, uh, really a pleasure. It was and I'm so not, great. And I'm not going to leave. You guys go oh, on good. with your lives. I'm just going to hand Oliver to you because I am tapped out. It's, it's a lot, <laughs> isn't it? I'll take Oliver for about six weeks. Okay, that's a perfect, perfect. amount of time. And then I'm moving to Montana. Sure. Okay. With, with him? or without him? Oh. <laughs> he decides. I have a jamming facility. I make jams. <laughs> Like I have a jamming facility. <laughs> Subscribe to the Pop My Culture Podcast on iTunes. Check us out online at popmyculturepodcast.com and follow us on Twitter at PMC Podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>